Hi, everybody. We've got another big artifice milestone today. It's episode 45, um, getting very close to 50, which is extremely exciting. And we're kind of also coming up on like a one year mark. So one year won't be quite 52 episodes because I skipped two weeks for the holidays. But so one year will be, I guess, like 50, which is kind of cool. Um, and then two years will be 100, which is very cool. Um, I have cool people scheduled like up from now until, I mean, I got podcasts ready like through the end of May and um, I have no plans of stopping. So it's all very exciting. Um, I hope that you guys have all been also following along with the stuff that I've been releasing outside of the podcast for my music. I'm going to be talking about it like at least up until the official release date, which is May 8th. And I have like maybe some other cool videos and stuff coming out after that. So, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a, a thing for the next little while. But um, the, the next big thing is this coming Friday, Valentine's Day, February 14th, I have my first official album single coming out. So the, I released The Stranger a couple of weeks ago. Um, that's a, a cover. And, you know, if I'm being really honest, one of the reasons why I wanted to release that first is it's just been so long since I released any new music. I couldn't for sure remember how everything worked. So I wanted to kind of test it out and make sure I like had all my ducks in a row before I got into like really releasing the official album stuff. So um, I'm, go I'm gonna keep The Stranger as like a bonus bonus track um, or like for the, you know, album deluxe version. Um, but the first like official single from Masks is gonna be out this Friday, February 14th. It's called As You Are. It's pretty fun and poppy. Um, I think it kind of has Prince vibes, if I may dare to say so. Um, but I think you guys are going to like it. It's 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 maybe like the happiest, most fun song on the album. Um, perfect, perfect first single. And, you know, it's not like a super lovey love song, but it's enough of a love song that uh, that a Valentine's Day seems like a great fit. Um, so anyway, that's that. Uh, working on lots of new merch, lots of new exciting things. Um, lots of new podcast guests, busy, busy, busy doing so many things I'm excited about. But today's episode is one that I very excited to share. When I first uh, was planning this podcast and kind of thinking about what I wanted to do, one of the first steps I took was I made a big list of all of the different types of art mediums that I could think of Um you know, that I wanted to try to represent. And I, I've in the last year, I've, um, I've, I've been really happy to be able to present interviews with most of the mediums on my list. Um, I'm still working on a few more. And one of those mediums that was on the list from the very beginning is professional storytelling. And I have had a difficult time finding professional storytellers to interview. Um, but today's episode is with Julie Barnson, who is a professional storyteller. And she was great to talk to and great to interview. And um, she she even uh, tells a story at the end of the episode. So make sure you listen and, and wait for that. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Julie. Julie Barnson has always been a storyteller. She just didn't know it. She would tell stories to her friends on long car rides or on campouts. It wasn't until she attended college 
she attended a storytelling class in college that she learned that you could actually be a storyteller. Since then, she has worked telling stories at schools, libraries, festivals, and other events. Her career has led her to being a chapter president, a tour guide for ghost tours, and a board member for the Story Crossroads Storytelling Festival. She loves sharing stories with others, and she's just a sparkly and cool human, and I can't wait for you guys to get to know her better. Here comes Julie. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary, and sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Wash Wizard. Wash Wizard is a cool little sphere that uses bioceramic technology to wash your clothes. I'm always looking for new eco-friendly products that are also useful and effective, and Wash Wizard definitely checks those boxes. A few months ago, I bought one for our home and we've been loving it, so I reached out to Wash Wizard to ask for a promo code for my listeners. Wash Wizard completely replaces laundry detergent and lasts for 1,500 loads of laundry. It's great for sensitive skin, it eliminates odor, bacteria, and mildew, and it reduces rust and lime buildup in your washing machine. Head to shop.getwashwizard.com and enter promo code ARTIFICE20, that's all caps, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-2-0, for 20% off your purchase today. Okay, let's get started. This is very exciting. Uh, I I almost always record podcasts in the day, like in the morning, so when I do one at night, I always feel like a very different mood i feel different and weird we're very cozy <laughs> we're very cozy also it's cold yes it's, it is it's cold it's it's starting to get that time of year where the basement is freezing so luckily we, That's have, why we have blankets many blankets and, yeah. and all the things <laughs> all the things um okay so i always start with everybody like i mentioned before at the beginning which is how did your creativity start to kind of manifest itself when you were a little kid when I was a little girl, as far as storytelling goes... It could be anything, but okay. sure. But as far as storytelling yeah. goes, my mom would ask me how my day was. Yeah. That was a mistake. Oh. <laughs> because I would tell her every detail. Yeah. And I could see her eyes glaze over as she was like, can you just go to the most important parts, Julie, because I had to act out the whole thing. And then he said, and then I said, and then he said, and then my teacher said, and, yeah. and I, I scared her a little bit where she was like, you don't have to tell me everything. What yeah. are the most important things? Um, I loved to play pretend. That yeah. was what I did. I lived in an imaginary world more than reality. Yeah. And everything was pretend for me. And I would construct the most elaborate fantasies. Yeah. And we had so much fun. My Were sister you, and I. You're playing with your sister? Yes. She older or younger? She's younger. I've talked with a lot of artists, all kinds, who say that their first creativity was playing pretend. Well, yes. Um, which I, I like to start at the beginning because I I get so curious about like how our creativity sort of evolves based on what 
we have as resources, what our parents are encouraging. Um, so w- what, what, what else, what did you start kind of, what did you start doing? What else were you working on? I was very much interested. I loved to sing. I loved yeah. music, but I loved to act. Yeah. And there was a school play and I auditioned. They said that third graders could audition. Yeah. I was the youngest person to audition and actually get a part. Wow. I was Lily the fairy and I had this beautiful cream colored with sequins little fairy fairy dress with these ugly wooden wings and the wing was broken and so it kept flapping. One wing kept flapping by itself as I stood and talked and said my lines. But I was so happy. I mean, playing a fairy, if you're like an imaginative child, I mean, I have, I have to imagine that it was fairies and mermaids and things going on in your, it was a pretty dumb play. They were looking for happiness. Oh, I just mean in your imagination, in your pretend. Oh, everything. being cast as a fairy is, oh yes, it was a dream dream come true. And it was my first starring role. Yeah, that's great. And you were you were in third grade and it was like an elementary school play. So it like was. up to like age 12 ish or something like that. Yes. Cool. And you were you would have been like, what, nine, eight, nine. Eight. Yeah. Eight. eight. That's awesome. So, OK, when you when what kind of um, what kind of feedback were you getting from like the adults or your peers in your life about kind of these creative interests that you had? I was. I had friends who just thought it was fun. And when we did things, it was play. Yeah. So I didn't get feedback of, oh, you're so talented and creative, not until later. Yeah. But we played. Yeah. And I had people who liked to play the same way I did. So we created together and it was exciting. It was like self-motivating. Yes. As as far as my parents went, sometimes my mom would be like, you're being a little dramatic, dear. But she let us play. Yeah. And that was it. Did that like affect you in any way or did you kind of, did it kind of like roll off? It rolled off. We just, we had, we had fun. And mom was happy to let us be who we were. Yeah, that's great. Um, Okay, so as you started to get older, like after that first play, um, what were, how how did your mind start to kind of, uh, I mean, I'm interested in like how you started taking like an interest and turning it into a skill. It wasn't really an interest. It was a, a thing that I always did. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in college that I discovered that I was a storyteller. Okay. I didn't realize it was a thing, but I can't have a conversation without turning it into a story. Yeah. So as far as storytelling goes, I wasn't aware of what it was or that I was. Yeah. But in, I got into fantasy I played, turned pretend into yeah. role-playing games. I played Dungeons and Dragons. Cool. I loved it. I got into acting in high school and yeah. was in all of the school plays. You were filling up yep. your well, all I, kinds of I ideas. I played in the band. I, yeah. I, we were very creative friends. We wrote yeah. all the time. We would do round-robin stories where we would yeah. write the first page of a story and then pass the stories around and we would take weeks adding to and building our stories. And these friends that you were being creative with, because sometimes I think that's kind of rare to have friends as a teenager that you feel creatively totally safe around. Um, Were those friends that you like grew up with or do you, or do you feel, or something else like some, it doesn't have to be a binary, but did, did you feel like you kind of found people 
wherever you went that I found people. We yeah. moved around a lot. We yeah. we slowed down once I became a teenager. We didn't move quite yeah. as often, but when I was younger, we moved quite frequently. And I'd find a friend, I'd find yeah. a friend, I'd find a friend. Then we moved to Junction City, Oregon, and I lived there the longest. And I had a group of solid friends. We yeah. were all the drama geeks. Yeah. We hung out together. We played together. We, yeah. you know, did all those things. Uh, when I moved to Martinez, California, my junior year of high school. Rough. Oh, that yeah. was cruel. Yeah. But um, again, I found friends who were into drama, yeah. were into playing role playing It does games. help if you have like if there's like a, a club or a class, you know, that you can kind of find like-minded people. Um, can you reflect on like, uh, you know, maybe what it was that like allowed you as a young person to be like so open with kind of your creative thoughts and your creative expression? That's a really good question. I just was. It was just kind of who you are. It's who I am. So I like to ask people, you know, I, I mentioned before we will talk at kind of at the end about identity, but I like to try to connect it. So um, one of the things I'm really interested in is, you know, this kind of idea of like ownership over your creativity. I think some people are really creative, but they're not kind of, they kind of don't think about it or, um, or feel like, well, I'm not, you know, maybe they don't feel permission or confidence. So when I meet people who seem to feel like, their, their creative identity is really like integrated at a young age. I'm very interested in that. So I, I think I, I want to ask, do you recall like thinking of yourself as a creative child and thinking of yourself as a creative person? Very much. Yeah. I, I was always creating stories and drawings yeah. and music and dancing. And I didn't limit myself to anything, yeah. especially when I was really younger and I was going to be famous. Yeah. When I, I, so yeah, yes. I'd love to hear more. Like, what did that mean to you? Like, how did you kind of like self-reflect, like, you know, just what was going on in your mind and kind of your, you know, personality about that? I mostly wanted all of my fantasy dreams to be real. Yeah. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be fairies and I wanted yeah. to be a mermaid and I wanted and any way that I could make that happen. Yeah. I was going to pursue it. Did you feel like proud of being very creative? Like like I think I'm wondering like how how you thought like how you valued that. I didn't think I was especially great at anything, yeah. but yeah, I think I, I was proud of that. I am proud of yeah. that. Um, I I thought of myself as a person who was unique and yeah. crazy and fun yeah. and imaginative. I, I've been reflecting a lot in the last couple of years about you know, what was going on with me as a creative child, because in, in a lot of ways, I wasn't in an environment that really welcomed it. And I think sometimes like, I mean, this is why I'm so fascinated by these things, because like retrospect is just who knows. But I wonder sometimes if the creative adults in my life felt like my favorite role models, you know, and I, I looked up to creative adults and and I don't know that I felt for sure that I identified like I felt like them as a child, but I definitely felt like I'd like to be an adult that's like that. I knew adults who were very artistic and yeah, I admired them. Yeah. My parents were not 
my mom knew music, yeah. but they were, she was a cheerleader. My dad played football Same. and they, yeah. they were in the, they were thespians. They yeah. were in the drama club and had done those things, but yeah. they didn't talk about it much. And they certainly yeah. didn't pursue it once they had kids. So mm-hmm. I didn't see that side of them growing up. Yeah. How did that feel to you? It was like, I was different. Yeah. And I was okay with that. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I think my parents were wondering where on earth I came from. Yeah. And yeah, why what you, they were going to do with me. I know it's kind of a leading question, but like, why, why do you feel like you're okay with it? Like, what was kind of... Because I was not them. Yeah. And I was you different. Just, you and liked I was, it. Yeah, I yeah. did. I you kind of felt different. like I'm different, but I, but I like... I like the ways that I'm different. Yes. Yeah. I, that's exactly what it yeah. was. That's so interesting. I, I, I think, and you, you probably think about this as a teacher too, but I, I feel often like I'm interested and perplexed by the idea of like where creativity comes from. Are we all creative? Are some people more creative than other people? And with children, when you're around kids, it is, I mean, you definitely see some kids that are like awfully sparkly. Um, you know, but I, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have thoughts about that? I do. I think everybody has a well of creativity and I think we have to find our own path to find it. And there are some people who never find it. Yeah. And that breaks my heart. Same. Yeah. But you know, why do you think it happens? I think fear. Yeah. Being afraid, being, um, believing the messages that you hear. Yeah. Um, deciding to be comfortable with something that you're used to and not wanting to push into scary areas. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I usually agree. Like, it's not so much about like, where does, you know, do, do we have creativity? It's maybe more a question of like, do we have creative resilience? Maybe. Like, uh, can, can you maintain that creativity in the face of criticism or something? Or yeah, being a little different, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so when I hear people say that as children, they were just like, this is who I am. This is who I, I always am. like to ask, like, do you have any insight about like how, it, why it was easy? Why it felt, uh, it was easy effortless. when I was really young. Yeah. When I got into my teenage years, it got harder. Yeah. It's hard to be the nerdy girl. Yeah. And it's hard to put up with people who, you know, I was teased. I yeah. was made fun of very frequently. Yeah. Um, I had to make peace with that. Yeah. How did you do that? I wasn't going to apologize for yeah. who I was. Um, there was one time in middle school where I decided I was going to try to be like the popular girls. Yeah. And I, somebody, a friend of mine said, Julie, all you have to do, they're nice girls. All you have to do is go and be where they are and do what they're doing. Yeah. So I did. I ditched my friends and they, we all used to gather in the library and Mm. we'd read fairy tales and, and talk the whole time. And instead I sat at the popular girl table and talked with them and we went outside to recess and we played jump rope and, and that was the most miserable two weeks of my life. And I was, I tried, I really did. And I have to say, these girls were not mean to me. They really weren't. They did say that they didn't necessarily want to jump with me because I was really bad at it. (laughs) And okay, truth, they weren't being mean about it. It was truth. But finally, it was a rainy day and we couldn't go out to jump rope. So I went back to the library and... There were my friends and we had so much more fun. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm done. 
that is interesting. I, I, I never had an experience quite like that. I think I knew, like, I knew that it was the wrong. I mean, I think, I think my mom was a popular girl, you know, like my mom was a cheerleader too. And my dad was a football player. And I think, I, I don't know if it was like a thing I knew or just like a thing that I assumed that like that was never going to be like the group for me <laughs> so I never I never really tried but I I I did I definitely did I don't know I I don't think I ever felt bad that I that I was in like a you know a group that was like sometimes maybe a little teased or something like that um but I think I I do remember feeling like I hope someday this goes away. Like, I I hope that like someday these things like kind of even out and maybe I'm just kind of like in the wrong age for like, you know, what I'm interested in or Fra- something Frankly, like that. I'm glad that I had that experience in middle school and that I didn't try so much later in my life Yeah, because I made peace with it pretty early on. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. I, I hate to see people, um, you know, diminishing their creativity because they're trying to like fit with a certain group. And it's not, of course, always to say that it's like one group or the other group, you know, but, um, but, but I, I do think it's compelling to hear someone talk about being a a pretty young person and at such an impressionable age, um, and having kind of the, the, I don't know, like the presence of mind to kind of think like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. It wasn't, it wasn't. And again, they weren't the stereotypical mean girls. They yeah. weren't mean to me. Yeah. They were fine with me sitting there. Just they may have thought it was interests. a little bit weird, yeah. but they weren't going to kick me out and say, yeah. you get away. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot from that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, this is something I talk with pe- about with people all the time is, you know, applying your creative, your creativity to like how you think about people. And those kinds of lessons are so important when you're young and when you're old, um, to be, to be thinking like anytime I'm putting someone else in a box, like that's not, you know, that's not creative either. Um, you know, it's, it's really narrow minded type of thinking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let, I'm trying to think like, if there's anything else I want to ask about, about like your, your, your young years, um, you know, just even developmentally. And I'm sure you have thoughts about this too. Like your brain is just doing a different thing when you're a teenager. (laughs) So I I like to make sure we kind of like, you know, we don't skip over like those years. Um, is there anything else that you feel is important to talk about uh, in terms of like your creativity and kind of your, your creative self-development, like before you went to college? Oh, good question. Okay. Let me tell you a story. Let's hear it. <laughs> my family went hunting in Eastern Oregon and it was me and my sister and my cousins. And there was a forest fire and we camped right at the edge where the fire had been. So we were in this beautiful green forest, lush green area. Yeah. There was a blank space of just meadow yeah and then the forest was totally dead. dead yeah and the roots you could see them have they had risen up above the earth and had curled down mm-hmm. and it was so creepy and my cousins and and I we loved to play pretend and we had made up a story it was fairyland of course yeah and we were in fairyland and we were all fairies and we all had powers but over across the way was the land of the evil spirits. 
And of course, they would call to us and they would ask us, you know, to come. And yeah. we would uh, frequently get kidnapped. Usually it was my cousin, Shannon. She was always hearing the evil spirits and yeah. she was always getting kidnapped. And we actually found a tree where the roots came up and it was just like a cage. Yeah, she and she would be there. under yeah. there and she would be caught in the cage. And she was calling for help and we'd have to go res- rescue her. But we wouldn't get her back for more than three minutes before she was off to get captured again. Yeah. We may- had sticks and we had swords and we were fighting the trees and the evil spirits. And this was a, a story that went on for three days. Yeah. And the parents were so amused by us because yeah. we were, were we were really in plain sight of all the adults and they would just watch yeah. the drama unfold as we were, yeah. you know, sword fighting in the middle of the meadow with the evil spirits and went on and on and on. And I think that was kind of the big example of mm. what I did with my life. <laughs> As yeah. a child, how many people come up with that elaborate of a yeah. story where we just kept it going for, again yeah. for it's kind days. of a long term uh, narrative? And yeah, and I I was never happier. That was yeah. just like oh, the best thing. That yeah, had ever how happened. old were you like around that time? Twelve. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's like like we were talking about you know before we started recording. Twelve is such an interesting age. It's like it's a great age. You're you're young enough to still kind of feel like easily feel wonder uh and and old enough to like you know have some really good uh you know cognitive skills <laughs> you can kind That's of keep my, track of stuff it's been interesting teaching for sixth grade this year because they come into my class and they set up their little toys and their pretty glitter pencil boxes yeah and this is the year where you can see the switch flip yeah where they suddenly are no longer a child right. and the little toys aren't as important as right. the connections they're making with the people yeah. around them. So interesting. And it's been a quite an adventure to watch. Yeah. So how did you feel going from that, you know, kind of totally unbridled play? Like, how did you, how did you start to kind of like assimilate that and, and look for that sort of joyful feeling in like, you know, other ways as you got older? One of the things that I said I was going to do when I went to college was that I was going to every semester take a class just for me. Yeah. I don't care what was required on my list of classes to graduate. One class was always going to be something that I loved. Just going to spark your and that, I took, light that thing up. I took dance. I did folk dancing and ballroom dancing. Yeah. I ended up playing in a bluegrass band. Cool. Uh, I, I had a guitar and it turns out you could take a class and yeah. be in a bluegrass band. So I became a, a guitarist in a bluegrass band there. I took uh, classes on storytelling telling I took classes just for me yeah and that was part of it um I I did things in my life I played Dungeons and Dragons yeah I got more involved with role-playing games because you know it's really pretend with rules so okay I totally get that of like I mean I think it's a difficult thing to articulate but like that stuff that kind of like lights you up finding ways to keep getting it as an adult is that is a creative endeavor I think in and of itself at least it is for me I think so Halloween was a big deal for me Mm -hmm. I love Halloween and I remember the year it was when I was 12 
um, that t- trick-or-treating ended and yeah. it broke my heart yeah. because what was left of Halloween after right. that. So I started throwing parties Yeah, and I started finding other ways to bring Halloween. Yeah. Bring that pretend to you. So you that yeah. I didn't have to give it up. Yeah. And I think given the popularity of Halloween these days, I think there's a heck of a lot of adults that decided oh, yeah. that too. Oh, I think you're totally right. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk just one more question about like this space before college. Um, you, where were you living before you like moved, went to college? I grew up in Oregon. Okay. And I was actually, in- I was actually born in uh, Eugene, Oregon in the same hospital that my parents were born in. Wow. It's so, we were all born so in the Eugene there. Sacred Heart Hospital. Wow. So in the Willamette Valley, we moved around a lot. Yeah. I mentioned Junction City, Oregon is yeah. a little teeny town just north of Eugene. Yeah. And, and then we, you said California, right? We did. Yeah, we when, when was that? My junior year of high school. Okay. And so you were there, you were in California your last two years of high school. Yes. Okay. And that was why I was wondering, like, I just wanted, I wanted to make sure you didn't live here. No, nope, so, I never did. So when you, um, I'd love to hear like, okay, what was your, what, uh, Emily, what am, what are you trying to ask Julie? Good question. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know, uh, like how you were choosing your major or if you were choosing your major or just what were those last thoughts as you were like, I'm going to go and be a grown up now. I was looking at the list of college majors yeah. to have. And I was thinking I should go into acting. Yeah. I should go into music. Mm, maybe not music. I should look at acting. And I was realizing that I had so many things that I loved yeah. to do. Loved. You know, I loved to dance. I loved to sing. I loved to read. I loved to um, do drama. I loved yeah. all of those things. And I was looking at it, it's like, why do I have to give any of these up? So yeah. what would be a job that I could do where I could still do them all? Yeah. So I became a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I can sing and dance and right. do all the things. Were you um were you articulating those ideas to like your parents? Or is that I'm kind trying, of like your private thought? I'm trying to remember if I ever talked to my mom about that. I was very close to my mom. Yeah. Especially as a teenager, which is weird. Rare. But yeah. that was a decision that I actually remember making that I was gonna be close to my mom. So I probably did. Yeah. Where I talked to her like, where can I go where I can play the guitar at work? Yeah. And can act out plays at yeah. work and and always have new um new subjects. Like you were saying you're exactly. working on ancient history now. Like I I I I can relate to thinking that way about like how can I hack my life so that I can do like the stuff that I want to do. Exactly. Um yeah. I didn't want to give any of it up. But I, I'm always curious about like, you know, that mo- that kind of time and, and moment in your life where you're having to like declare a major, like declare what you're going to do. And I feel like we lose so many creative people then. So I always want to make sure to ask like every artist I interview, um, you know, just if there's anything in that like decision that you felt like you were bartering with anybody about. But it sounds like that's why I was wondering if you were talking about that creative stuff with anybody or if you were just like, I'm going to be a teacher. And then you were kind of like thinking privately about. I almost guarantee I was speaking to somebody. I don't remember a conversation, Yeah, but it is very likely yeah. that I was you talking to my mother about that. Yes. Yeah. You know, how, how can I work all the things that I love into a job? Yeah. And where is that possible? Yeah. And sometimes when my job gets really hard, 
I have to think again, okay, so what job could I do where I can still (laughs) read and sing and tell stories and dance and play my guitar and all those things? Yeah. Um, Well, oh, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. It's it's 2019, and so phones ring. It's scam likely. I hate that guy. (laughs) I had like seven calls from scam likely today. You know, he was a player. (laughs) (laughs) He's been busy. (laughs) Um, So let's talk now about uh, like how you got into storytelling. Do you want to tell the story? It was an accident. (laughs) I had no idea. I was taking a class on how to teach language arts. And in one of the lessons was on storytelling. And my professor actually told the story, just an easy one, of Little Red Riding Hood. And he actually added costumes and did the granny and the wolf. And it was like my soul lit up right mm-hmm. there. It was the ta-da yeah. moment. I got the chills. It yeah. was, wait, I do this. I have always done this. And I thought back to all the times. I mean, I was a camp counselor when I was in high school. And what I did to keep the little kids entertained was I told them stories. And I would tell them stories that lasted for days. I, we, every long car ride, you know, with youth groups, I would sit in the back of the car and I would tell stories and we'd tell ghost stories. And I, I told my sister stories. I, that's what I did. And it was like, this is what I am. Yeah. And so I decided I would look. It's like, you know, is there any is there way to learn about this? storytelling? Oh, okay. So I looked and I found a theater class. It was a 400 level theater class taught by Jean Jenkins, who's, you know, long gone. Yeah. But uh, she taught this class on storytelling. And it was the most amazing class for me because, again, everything that we did, it was like this. This is home. This, this is, is yeah. where I belong and this is what I do. Acting, I decided, really wasn't the thing for me. Um, first of all, the pressure of auditioning, of looking right, of body yeah. awareness, of all of yeah. the the things that actors have to deal with. Yeah. I didn't want to have to deal with that. I wanted to just perform because I it's what I do. Yeah. Um, and I that storytelling was the way to do that. Yeah. What what is the difference in your mind or just in in fact uh between like storytelling and like writing short stories? Ah, how interesting because I am a published author. I have written okay. a short story. Yeah. Um and, one. I, yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd <laughs> mostly like to know what the difference feels like to you or like storytelling you know, storytelling is so different from the other arts. It's the oldest yeah. form, art form. Uh, back before cave paintings, people were around the fire talking about their exploits, their hunting trip, their things that have happened, telling stories about why this mountain is here and why the storm is happening, uh, yeah. explaining their world. It happened through story. Right. And other art forms developed from that very basic idea of story. So when I'm telling a story, most of what I do, I draw from folklore. Mm. 
That's yeah. the type of storyteller that I am. I research old ancient stories because I don't want them to be forgotten. Yeah. And I learn how to tell them in an interesting way. The definition of storytelling is to use words to take the story that is playing in your head and tell it in a way that it creates that story in someone else's head. Mm. Yeah. So a listener is very much involved in that whole process as well. Interesting. Now, the interesting thing is, is that oral storytelling, what I primarily do, is done through words, through your body, through right. your it's expression, par- your emotion. Yeah. Writing is so much harder yeah. because your words have to be written down on paper and your audience is not right there. Right. You send it off to the publisher, people read, and you hope that somebody writes an Amazon review that says something that they like it. Yeah. Otherwise, you've put it out there and you may never know that somebody saw that story yeah. in their head the way you did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, okay. So if, if the thing that's different between written storytelling and oral storytelling is the ability that you have to inflect your voice, to move your hands and face and to see, um, an audience. I mean, I guess, unless you're thinking about like our oral recordings, is there, is there a difference there? Very different. Uh, When I recorded my CD, I had a friend with me so that yeah. I could have an you audience because that, that yeah. energy, it, you feed off of that energy. Yeah. As you have an audience that's you know looking at you and watching what you do, that energy helps build you right. so that I you get that as do a musician better. totally, Absolutely, yeah. right? So that's yeah, I'm thinking like so. There's written stories, then there's recorded speech. Yes. Which you're losing a visual, but you can still do it. Yes. Well, my sister, she records audiobooks. Yeah. And she's in her basement with right. a microphone and, and gesticulating. Just and you have to. Yeah. Reading her story. And it's just her voice. And she hopes when it goes out there that somebody hears it and likes it. But yeah. for me, there must be an audience. Yeah. And, and then I'm also curious what feels different between performing in front of an audience and acting like what's what's the difference for you um and when you act there's what they call a fourth wall your Mm. whole goal is to pretend that the audience is not there but with storytelling you must have a connection with your audience so my goal is to try and look at everybody in the face and to look at their eyes and to see you know I don't really like you know stare well look that person has red hair and you know you don't really look at that but you try to connect with them because the more you connect with them the more they're seeing your story I don't have props I don't have a set I don't have the things that a theater has yeah. where the set tell helps tell the story. Yeah. It's just me on a stage. The way that you're talking about this is um, it's, ex- it's the same. Uh, my degrees are in jazz studies. Like I said, and, and jazz singing, I think is almost exactly storytelling. Well, there you go. It's all the same things. It's this nuance, super intimate. There's not at all a fourth wall. There's no costume. There's no, no. like, uh, okay. I like costume, but yeah. that's me personally as a style, not yeah. a requirement for the job. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I did my master's research on paralinguistics, which is like all of these, like, you know, inflection, 
uh, how do we hear gender? How do we hear class in our in our voices? What kind of power does like you know a- affecting your voice have on like how you're able to tell a story or relate? So I'm, I'm dramatically interested in these oh, that's really kinds cool. of subjects. Okay, yeah. what a cool thing to do a master's thesis on. I mean, yeah. Well, I because I feel the same way about it. Like I I I'm drawn to singing that is storytelling. Um, and like I was saying, you know, before we started recording, um, for for me, like the the thing that I that I like about singing that's a little different is there's a little bit less of a beginning, middle, end. It still like exists, but because music is cyclical, um, I feel like I'm often very interested in songs that are kind of like capturing one moment or like an emotion that maybe would be hard to put into like a story that has a beginning, middle, end. Anyway, I'm just saying I, I'm interested in it. It's yeah. it's something that I that I uh, I feel very drawn to. So um, where should we what should we talk about next with your? So you 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 took this class. Um, how did you start to kind of like develop your own artistry as a storyteller? I volunteered a lot. I would volunteer in classrooms. I would volunteer, you know, any at church, any any place that would take me. I would volunteer to tell stories. As I became a mother and my girls went to school, I went to the the teachers and said, "Look, I tell stories, and someday I'm going to be a professional storyteller." I would say that a lot. Someday I'm going to be a professional yeah. storyteller. Someday, yeah. um, I would find the stories, and for me, it's mostly finding the stories. That's I don't do things. as much story creating, mm-hmm. which is, I think, another difference between being an author and a storyteller. Sure. I yeah. find the stories, and I find the ones that speak to my heart. And my stories, the ones that I'm drawn to are different from what other people are drawn to. And so figuring that out too. Um, But I I kept saying, someday, someday I'm going to do it. And finally, one day I was in the basement, I was on the computer and I I was typing to somebody, someday I'm going to be a professional storyteller. I was like, you know what? You keep saying that. When are you going to let that happen? You're 36 years old. Yeah. You've been telling stories forever now. Yeah. And when are you going to do it? Yeah. And it was that realization of why am I waiting? Why am I holding back? Yeah. You know, am I waiting for the girls to be old enough? Am I waiting for them to leave? Am I waiting to be a grandmother? Am I waiting? Yeah. Why am I waiting? Why were you waiting? And I stopped waiting. Why were you waiting? I don't know. I think scared. Yeah. That 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 leap of faith. I was decided. I made a goal yeah. that I was not ever going to be a chicken. Yeah. Again. Did and, it? Yeah. Did it feel like? Was it a like what 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 was the name of that fear? Like was it like a permission thing? Was it like an identity thing? Like maybe I was a mommy, and so yeah. I was supposed to be a mommy, and I'm supposed mm-hmm. to live for my girls and. I, you know, I gave myself yeah. to my girls and what my girls' lives were doing. So to to say I'm going to be a storytelling, a professional storyteller, was not necessarily kind of of that involving the girls. It was just for me. When you took the class, the first class, were you a mom then? I was not. Okay, let's talk about like. Okay, I'd love to know like from the time you took that first class, like you 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 were in some ways identifying as a storyteller. Like I I've was. always been doing this. Um, w- was there a transition where you kind of felt like now I'm a different kind of a storyteller, like where you kind of owned it in a different way? 
because now it had like a, a name. Be, well, yeah, yeah. I, you know, Can suddenly you tell me what that was I was like? telling stories on purpose to tell stories. Yeah, I wasn't just trying to keep people from being bored on long car, car right. rides or to it, keep it felt kids now from like, misbehaving. It felt like a a thing. I, you know, I I was teaching second grade when I was first married, and I was telling stories in my classroom, and I did it. It was deliberate. I am a storyteller. I am telling you a story now. Yeah. When I might have just done it because I was trying to keep the kids behaving because it's amazing. They will behave so well when you're telling a story. We're wired to listen to story. I know. They're so interesting. And when people don't tell stories, I feel so bored. Right? Um, Yes, I am the same (laughs) way. I'm like, tell me more. Like, tell me, tell me, give me the details. I will say to my husband all the time, more. More. Yeah. More, please. But it wasn't until that class that I had a name for it (laughs) so that I could say, yes, I am telling a story. Right. And then I assume like that was the time that you started looking for stories yes. before they were just your yes. stories. Well, yeah. I remembered back to stories that I had read. I read so many folk tales and fairy tales. I loved them. I, you know, every fairy tale book yeah. in the library, I read them all. Yeah. And there were certain stories that I remembered best Yeah, and that I was drawn to the most. And when you're finding your story, you're looking for something that gives you an emotion. Yeah. The ones that make you laugh, the ones that scare you, the ones that yeah. make you sad. Those are the ones that you remember and those are the ones that you need to tell do you have a memory of like the first time that you like went to go like harvest a story to tell like because I feel like that's a big step like whether or not it maybe felt like a big step like you know making a decision to like I'm going to like take these steps to tell this story I think it was the storytelling class Okay, they gave um, you, you had an assignment. I had an assignment to tell, to find a story and tell. And I thought way back to when I was a little girl and a book that I probably checked out about three or four times yeah. from the library because I loved it so much. Yeah. It was a picture book and it was um, James Thurber's Many Moons. Mm. And it was the first story that I told. And now I can't perform it because it's still co- under copyright. Yeah. But I do tell it to my class frequently yeah. because it was the story of the little princess and she got sick. So her father promised that she said, told her father she would get better if she had the moon. So her father promised that he would get her the moon, except he didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And so it was all of their plans to try and give yeah. the moon to the princess. And then when they lied and didn't really give her the moon, how they were going to hide the moon from the princess so yeah. she wouldn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And okay. I love that. So like right away, I mean, I, like maybe I'm belaboring a point a little bit, but like I can imagine other students being in this class and maybe some of them are interested kind of how you are. Maybe a lot of them are just like, it's an elective you know, like, what's the easiest story for me to find? But right away, you were kind of feeling like, what is a story that I've been like, w- wanting to tell? You know, what's a story that means something to me? Um, d- did you have any? So I'm assuming that like, after that first story, and after the class, you just kept doing it, even yeah. if you didn't have like a, did. a, a, a venue or like a, I never stopped. You just kept doing I it. I just kept doing it. And did you have um, important mentors during that time that you continued to talk with after the class? At first, no. Um, it was just me, but there was the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival. Okay. And as I was wrapping up the class, they were talking about the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival and I thought, oh, 
this is a thing. Yeah. So my husband and I went and we went at Ghost Tales. And yeah. again, it was, oh, this yeah. is where I belong. Yeah. All the things. And I went by myself the very next day. It was held at the Ashton's mansion their their home in Orem and going to their house and we were sitting in tents on the yeah. you know tennis court listening to like, stories I'm back in this Oregon like, forest yes, this is yeah. it and here I was by myself yeah. you know usually if I'm going to an event it's like no I want my husband there yeah. but I felt that exactly felt like I belonged important to you to do it by yourself no, not necessarily. It just happened to be. It, and it was you, where I needed to be. You remarked at how and comfortable it felt. I didn't feel awkward. I didn't yeah. feel uncomfortable in the crowd. Yeah. It was where I belonged. Yeah. So can you tell me what happened with your storytelling before you were a mom? I just told. I yeah. mean, that was it. You I found know. places to perform. I I or, heard about a storytelling guild, but I didn't know how to connect with them. I didn't know if I really had time because I was teaching school. Yeah. So I told stories in my class. I told stories at family nights at the school. I did a lot of performing when I was a teacher. And then I had Rowan, my first child, yeah. and that was it. I became a stay-at-home mom. Okay. And I told stories to my little girls. Yeah. And I told stories, again, I told stories at church. I told stories yeah, wherever I was. You were still telling stories. You were maybe just... Yeah, I just had to find different ways to do yeah. it. And, and I want to ask more about how you, you know, started to kind of change that mindset. But I think first, before we get there, I want to ask um, about your process for taking a story that's been like uh, conceptualized uh -huh. and and uh, creating your like script or like, you know, because you're not like memorizing. Nope. Yeah. Nope. That's what's wonderful about stories. So how, I, how do you develop, how do you make your version? The trick is to have a clear picture in your head. Like you're playing a movie in your head of the story. And I, imag I imagine very, very clearly. Yeah. So I have a picture of what the main character looks like, of the setting, of all of those things. And then really, I just describe what I'm seeing in my head out yeah. loud. I'm for more difficult stories, I really, I will, might outline it. I'll take notes. Yeah. I'll, I'll, um, I, I am not as formal as some people yeah. because every storyteller has a different way sure. of approaching it. But the whole goal is to get a good image in your head. Yeah. I will not tell the same story the same way twice. Yeah. I really won't. But as I'm talking, something will pop out yeah. that it will be, oh, I like how that yeah. was said. So the next time I tell it, I'll use yeah. that phrase again. That's so similar to how jazz vocalists okay, are thinking yeah. too. Because it's this, Im there's improvisation yes. involved, um, which is why I think I feel such a kinship with like, I mean, I have not done like formal storytelling outside of singing, um, but I feel like it It must be like a very, very similar. It must, well, you, you really don't have to because the understanding is that everybody's a storyteller. Right, yeah. And if you're talking about how what happened with your day, to your spouse at the end of the day, you're yeah. telling a story. That's what I tell my students too. When, when we're talking about delivering a lyric, you know, sometimes they'll be like, but it's too dramatic. And I think like, I always tell them, you know, it's not dramatic when you are telling your mom at the end of the day, a story about something dramatic that happened many hours earlier. Like you're not dramatic. You're just telling a story. You know, it's not, it's, it's just, it's an emotion that is out of context uh, that's true. It, but, and then they go like, oh, 
like you're 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 acting you know i use the word acting but like you're 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 doing this kind of pretend thing all throughout your day it's not fake it's not dramatic no it's the most natural thing yes you're just doing it kind of on command the right trick now. is to find out what kind of storyteller you are are you the type of type of storyteller that is going to keep people listening at the dinner table or when family gatherings happen are you the person who is going to be sitting on the porch and everybody gathers around that way mm. are you a person who does eventually want to come and perform everything counts when it comes to storytelling Absolutely. because it's a part of all of us. We all do it. Yep, we all do it. Um, I, I, I think it's so interesting, and it goes back to that, like, you know, this kind of idea that we're all creative. You know, like telling a story is always a little creative. Always. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if for no other reason than you are creating a moment now that isn't now. Yeah. You know, yes. that's, that's, it's inherently creative. So, um, let's, let's talk now about, um, how many years were there between, uh, when you, when you like stopped teaching, um, and, and, and when you had this thought of like, oh, it's, I need to do it. It was too long. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I think, let me think here for a second. Um, my oldest probably was in, I want to say fourth or fifth grade. Okay, so, so like ten about ten ten years. Ten years. I was thirty six. That's okay. The, I remember yeah. the age very well. So it was probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably close to ten years. Um, is there anything that you recall from that ten year period um, that you that you remember being uh, important to like your the development of your creative perspective? I lived like it was like a I lived in the library because of course you took your kids to the library frequently. Before the internet. Yes. Yes. And 398.2 <laughs> is my call number. And it was again searching for the stories that were the ones that yeah. that spoke to me. Um I love ghost stories. Yeah. So I did a lot of research on so ghost creepy. stories. That's my specialty is <laughs> really? actually ghost stories. Oh, I, so I hate them. Oh no, I love them. They're delicious. I get um, very I I also have like a very very vivid imagination. I imagine well and I imagine ghosts like a little too well for my own comfort. I don't think about ghosts very much. And, and this is what I tell when I tell ghost stories. I love this kind of story that gives me the shivers. Yeah. I, and, ooh, I oh, yes. I don't I, want it. The more the, the more the shivers, the better. But I don't want terror. And yeah. there is a big difference mm. between the shivers and just a little bit scared yeah. to full out terror. Terror is not fun and it is yeah. not comfortable, yeah. but just, you know, that when you're, little that bit little, of, that yeah. little, whoa, okay. Oh, it feels like good. It. I love it. But, um, I, I, I like to listen to that kind of story like at noon when yes. all the lights yes. are on. Yes. I tell that to my kids when I tell them ghost stories. It's like right now in yeah. school, you're fine. Even it's, as an adult. I, it, it's later when the lights are out and you're going to bed when your brain says, you know what we haven't thought about? Those stories that yeah. we listen to at noon. Totally. And that's when it gets bad. That's why I, I struggle. <laughs> but actually like my, you know, the spooked podcast. I don't. It's just, it's, they're, they're, ghost stories um but are they i'm I'm there i'll be there okay it it only comes out like for a month every like fall 
Yes. Um, they do like a little series. Good for it's them. The, it's the um, Snapped Judgment podcast, which is okay. it's a storytelling podcast. Um, and then they do like the Spooked series. Oh, how fun. But uh, Andrew, my husband and I, we, we, we started listening to an episode of Spooked on the way home from our super late night mountain gigs. Uh, we well, play yeah. in like a wedding band. And that's, that's I'm 31 and um, I'm a strong independent woman. And uh, that's that's exactly as much as I can handle <laughs> right there. Well, that's good. But I, what I tell people is that while I'm looking for that feeling, just tell me a good story. I yeah. don't want to think about whether or not it might actually be true. Yeah. And I'm really fine disconnecting myself from that. Yeah. Because when faced with the reality, and yes, I have faced that reality yeah. a couple of times, my first reaction is, no, I'm not really facing this reality, and yeah. I'm in denial. Denial. I really don't want to think about it too hard, so yeah. la, 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 yeah. don't tell me it's real. Oh, I can't, and maybe that's where we're different, because like, I don't know how to shut that thing off. I will like ruminate, and I will wake up in the middle of the night. And I can't think of anything else. Oh, I have some bad nights. Yeah. I scare myself all the time. It's so bad. It's so unproductive <laughs> for me. I watched my last like scary movie it, when I was like 14 years old and thought, this is, I can't function. No more scary movies for this girl. Well, and some of my favorite stories to tell are the hilarious things that have come about because I've scared myself. Yeah. And, you know, the times where I'm like shrieking. Yeah, totally what have I done? When, so. when I was in college, I lived I lived in a house with four other girls, or three other girls, four of us all together. And um, they all lived, I went to school in Texas, and they all were from there. So sometimes on long weekends, they would go home to their parents' houses and I didn't have family there. So I would I was alone in our house like pretty regularly. Oh man, I would like, I would pile all of the like kitchen furniture like by the front door. <laughs> I would set like booby traps. You know, there I was in go. like my twenties, and I, I keep the lights on I and would, I make sure the yeah. doors are locked. So that's as far as I go. I, I I put like all the all the tables in front of the door because I was so like just creeped out. But again, that that t going back to your original question, that time for me was again, figuring out my identity, figuring yeah. out what I wanted to tell and mm. what I was drawn to and the things that I loved about being a storyteller. Yeah. And when I finally took that first step, fortunately I did have a mentor. Yeah. Um, her name is Rachel Hedman. She's actually really uh, a real go-getter in the storytelling community. And she's she, here in Utah. Or? Yes, she is. Okay. She's here in Utah. And she, we've been friends for a while now because she yeah. showed up at my very first performance that Aww. I, as a professional storyteller, yeah. uh, the, my town Riverton, they had a little arts festival and performers could sign up to perform. There wasn't an audition. You signed up if you wanted yeah. to perform and I signed up. That was my big, that was, your I big am brave thing. Yeah. and I am going to do this thing. Yeah. And I did. And she was there because she had signed up to perform and had heard there was another storyteller. So she's like, oh, I have to meet this yeah. person. And so she was the one that gave the little push. Yeah. Okay. And she what always are you does. Do next, Julie? Yeah, yeah, that's what she does. She she'll say, Okay, so when are you gonna record a CD? Yeah. Or what are what are you going to do next? How yeah. are you going to push yourself a little bit more? And and sometimes she makes me tired where it's like, back off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to push I myself. But all she does is ask, okay, so yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. And then she's there to help you if you That's need it. It's so lovely to have someone who supports you in this way of just 
being curious about you and just kind of, I mean, it's such a, it's such a non-pressury way to believe in someone. Like, what are you doing next? That just like assumes there's a next, but yes. it's not like you need to, you know, it's not prescriptive. Well, it's just. And as she did brave things that kind of pushed her as a storyteller, yeah. it wasn't just, I'm doing this, ta-da, here I am. Yeah. She was willing to drag everybody along yeah. with her um, just to say, okay, so now what can you do? Yeah. And that's so, that's so beautiful. I, I love to see artists Again, I mean, I'm on one about this lately, but thinking creatively about other people and being interested and curious, like, what can you do? What will you do? What are you about? What, you know, what stories do you have to tell, whether or not you're a storyteller? Um, you know, what stories do you have to tell in this kind of we all tell stories way? Precisely. Um, when you were kind of um, having this sort of identity shift is there anything else that you want to say about like what that felt like or what was difficult about it? It was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. Yeah. It, you know, it's enough to say I'm a storyteller because it doesn't matter for the rest of my life. I will be a storyteller mm. whether I'm performing or not. Mm -hmm. That's who I am yeah. and part of m m me been, and my yeah. soul. But to say, yeah, and I'm good and I charge this much money. Yeah. And, Boy, that was hard to say yeah. the first time. Why is it hard? Because you're putting a value on something that I just do. Does it feel like, uh, I, I mean, I have my own thoughts about like my version of that feeling. Yes. Um, do you... Tell me more. Like, well, and, yeah, and also it? it's a little bit arrogant. You know, you're kind of taught to be humble yeah. and to be able to say, yeah. I'm really good. Yeah. I'm this much money an hour good and yeah. I'm worth you paying that. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it's, it's like, do, does it feel gendered to you? No, it no, doesn't. I've never it's just like it that way. It, it, do you feel, I mean, certainly like doctors aren't dealing with that in the same way that artists are. What do you think it is? You know, like, why is it, why is it so difficult to put a value on your creativity? Because it makes you a little vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that you feel in your heart and in your soul. Yeah. Other people, they go to their work and it's just what they do for work. It's very and subjective what we yes. do. Well, they have the training, certainly. They have the knowledge, but do they have that creativity, that the part of their soul that you put into what you do? And yeah. so you're open. Yeah. And it puts you out there. And, you know, what if you get bruised yeah. when you're open like that? What if somebody says you're not worth yeah, it's that very, money? It's very personal. And because it's so subjective, it is subject to a lot of opinion. Um, you can't, you know, you can't say like, well, I don't care what you think. Uh, you know, I won this many cases this year right. you know, or whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, I have these gigs, but like, if you think it's bad, like, there's nothing I can say that will not a thing. It you know? just is what uh, it is. You know, if a lawyer loses a case, it's like, well, I get paid by the hour, whether I, right. you know, success I, is kind of a different, it, there's a different standard. Well, and I find it's been a while since I talked about this with anybody, but I find that having success as an artist, like, like financial success, I mean, cause there are all the kinds of success, but specifically making good money for what you're doing is also hard. It's very, it's, and it's hard to talk about, um, 
you know, people can maybe like you, the people that you respect and the people you care about can maybe like project, you know, judgments on you for having success. Yes, absolutely. Which I think is And is I had hard. to decide what success was for me. Yeah. Because that road is awfully hard. Yeah. And it's very exhausting. So, you know, do I constantly try and call people and connect with people and make those contacts? Because, you know, there's not that many people who are managers for storytellers. If I do it, it's mostly on my own. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there are people who are on the national circuit who've made it there. But again, they're constantly working. They're writing yeah. their radio shows and podcasts and all of the things that they have to do to try and make a living off of this. Yeah. I don't know if I have that. And yeah. and I had to decide, okay, so what does my success look like? Do I want the national circuit? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe someday, Maybe but someday. not right now. Yeah. Sure. And I love that idea. And so making those choices too is a little scary and a little yeah. hard that way too. It's so scary. And and again, I mean, I feel I feel burdened by these types of ideas all the time. I, and I, I think everybody does if you're going to pursue your art. I do think some artists are not very reflect like self-reflective about it. Like they'll say like, no, I never worry about that. And I'm kind of like, really? How? You probably do. <laughs> I think you're lying. I don't know. Um, I don't but know. I certainly do. I certainly think about it. And it, I mean, uh, because like, you know, hi hindsight's twenty twenty, And so, you know, you're going to at some point look back and either think like, you know, maybe I, maybe things would be this if I had been doing that, or I'm so glad I did this because, and the, the, the not knowing uh, and the fact that there's no, um, there's no prescription for what this, these careers look like is None. it's exhilarating and terrifying. It's yes. often terrifying, but it's also, if you're kind of driven by creativity, you know, I, I'm a very practical person in a lot of ways and I'm a very magical person in other ways. Um, and the practical side of me sometimes thinks like, Emily, there must be like a better, more like stable way for you to like. <laughs> and then I, and then I know though that like, it, it, it wouldn't be sustainable because I would get so bored. Yes, I, I need it's it's like my own, you know, I it, it's it's a it's a a certain type of an adventure. It's a very quiet and personal adventure, but it is like it's risky. And it's exciting. interesting that. You know, I've gone back to teaching since then. Um, and so I'm not performing as much as I used to. Um, I probably could perform more than I am now, but at the same time, I'm telling stories yeah. in school and right. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I perform when I can and where yeah. I can and, and I'm happy with that. And everything comes in stages. Yeah. You know, there's going to become come a stage where I'm not a, I'm not going to be teaching anymore. Yeah. And it's time to think about, okay, so now what's next? Yeah. And it'll um, be exciting and scary when that happens too. Yes, it's very exciting, very scary. Um this is kind of personal, but do you do you feel you have two daughters? Yes, I do. Um, two, you have one sister and then you have two daughters. Oh, no, there's three generations of this. So really? my mother has one sister, then I have one sister, and then I had two daughters. Well, that's kind of special. I know, right? That's kind of... I, I hope that when my, my children have children that there are two girls yeah. somewhere in there. That's, that's kind of magical. So I, I want to ask, um, do you feel uh, 
you know, I feel like in all these things you've been saying, you know, the through line is, is like a, you, you have maintained this kind of childlike, um, this, this imagination that I think gets, uh, inhibited in so many adults. Do you feel that like reflected in your daughters? Oh, so much. They like receive it totally. So much. That's, oh I'm, my goodness. I'm glad so to hear that. My daughter Rowan is Rowan North. She is an artist and she, uh, is a fantasy and multi mixed media artist. Wow. So she does these. She's picked it up. Oh my goodness. So she, was running a Dungeons and Dragons type role playing game, and she actually drew illustrations of the story that she was creating. And now that she's finished the game, she's like, I have all these illustrations. I wonder if I can put them together into a book. And yeah. um, she'll come up with the most whimsical things. And sometimes I'm looking at it going, I have no idea where where these are coming from. Yeah, but I know that it started with. She grew up with story yeah. her whole life. Yeah. My youngest, she just uh, is about to graduate with a degree in anthropology. Amazing. Because those stories. She was interested yeah. in people yeah, and yeah, in yeah. cultures yeah. and their stories. Right. And this was the next step for her. And she's also very creative and and she draws and she, you know, tells stories yeah. and she performs. She was working at a haunted house a few years ago cool. and auditioned to be evermore and cool. then got busy and so she might audition again someday we'll for, see for those who don't who aren't from utah evermore is like a it's a theme park where there's like ongoing storytelling i it's i want of, to move in there i'm pretty sure yeah. that i've have got my house picked out <laughs> just so you know um, i have never been but i i need to go i always think about it uh, during like it's it, it's usually seems like it's it's I'm hearing about it during like a really busy gig season and then I forget so I I need to go I the, I would like it the Christmas season's opening uh Friday they November have like a 29th. new story series and yes. a, a new yeah, they narrative. they go in season so they have the the lore season is what they call it and that's the spooky season yeah and they just finished that and Aurora is the next season and it's the Christmas Dickens cool type feel yeah and then there's mythos which is the spring summer yeah uh long term awesome good weather yeah <laughs> not too I, cold I season love the idea, <laughs> i love the idea of your daughter being an anthropologist as kind of a creative mind um of course like you know the mythology and the folklore of like different cultures is so rich um and and so much uh creative like uh, fodder, you know, she's, she's definitely pulled into the more scientific aspect of it, but yeah. why did, what did they believe? Well, that's what I was going to say, like story going, like taking that and then thinking like the step further about like, just again, like thinking creatively about these people, their context. Um, that's really interesting. Because, I, I like that a because lot. our society and our history and our lives were defined by the stories we tell. Yeah. And you can't really separate the two. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Well, and also like we define other people's by this, by the stories we tell. Uh, yes, you and, do. And sometimes I, for good and sometimes for not good. Mostly for not good. I would say, you know, if you're telling stories about other people instead of asking them for theirs, it's bound to end poorly. So, um, I don't true. know. I, true. I think, that's a good yeah. way to look at it. Well, that's why, you know, I've said it now, this is the third time, but like, I'm so, I'm so like, 
lit up by this idea about like thinking about people creatively, which is part of the reason why I want to do this podcast, because I like to think about like, you know, you can see someone and you can read their resume and it doesn't really tell you that much about like what is kind of actually going on. And that's, you know, just a tiny way, like thinking about cultures and like peoples is It's how very you different. can love people, all I, people. I think so. Because truly, once you have learned their story, you can't yeah. hate them. It's like Brene Brown says, it's hard to hate people up close. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so you might look at a culture or something that's unfamiliar, but when you start to learn their stories, it's like, no, I'm connected to you. Yeah. Because in truth, we're all connected. Yeah. We're all connected by the same stories in, in our own ways. We have yeah. birth, we have marriage, we have death. We have all those things, love and the things that connect us. And none of us is truly different. Totally. And the more stories that you're able to kind of wrap your mind around, the more readily your paradigm can shift, you know? Oh, easy. You, yes. the, the The more quickly you can kind of think like, I can see that and I can see that. And um, which I think is just... You know, I, I think it's part of why I'm interested in artists in particular, because I, I, I presume that most of us are doing that more readily than, uh, you know, generally more, more readily than non-professional creatives. Um, but I like to think that it's something we can all do. You know, I'd like to see more people at least think creatively about people. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with this idea. Uh, I'm kind of thinking a lot lately about whether the things that I learn from creatives in all sorts of different mediums, whether and how they could maybe apply to, you know, I, I don't want to say non-creatives because I think everyone is creative, but people who have not made creativity like a, a conscious part of their daily adult life. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd like to see more creative thought at at least. Um, and again, that's an act of bravery to be able to say, this is where I'm going. And it's not just the road less traveled, it's the road that's sometimes hidden and it's bumpy and sometimes might have thorns. Yeah, hidden and also multiversey you know yes <laughs> like, it will I don't take know, you to places one... <laughs> that you will yeah. never ever expect it's not one road it's like that's the point right if it was just one answer we could find it but I think the nature of that is that it's it's elusive and enigmatic and my hope though and for me it has been true is that it leads to joy yeah I think creativity like is joy like, I, think so. I mean that, and, and I think there's lots of ways to think about that. You know, like when people say, you know, like being a parent is joy, like I don't have children, but I imagine it's part of that. Like you're creating experiences for them. They, you know, you and them are creating this life. Like that's still creativity. Um, you know, if your work is joy, like probably it's because you're creating something that didn't exist before, you know? Um, Okay, we went on a long tangent. I liked it's it though. Okay. Now I liked how do we it. Get back? <laughs> um, well, I think like, I mean, is there anything else? Like, do you, do you want to take us through like um, important points in like your your professional experience? Certainly, um, I started mostly volunteering in schools, but when I finally said I am going to tell stories 
professionally. Um, it was finding where I could do that. I started yeah. with the libraries. Um, I had to find out how to apply. Yeah, and, to be the and, story lady. And be the uh, story lady. The interesting thing is, is not a lot of people know what a storyteller really is because they'll ask me and they'll say, oh, you know, well, I go to the library for story time and the librarian is reading a story. Right, not so the same. To, to have them understand that there's no book in front of me yeah. at all. But... Um, I did. I did a lot of shows with the library. I joined the Storytelling Guild, and a lot of opportunities come about from there. Um, I started to apply to different storytelling festivals. I have gotten, and as I've gotten uh, more and more involved, I've had people contact me, which is always exciting. Yeah. Really, I'd love to have you come to a podcast. Okay. (laughs) Podcasts are the best. Sure. (laughs) Um, But I've had been contacted by businesses. That was a fun one. To do like corporate events? Yes. Like a gig. Like this was a, it was a reward for a team that had worked really hard so that they had planned this lunch hour where I came while they were eating lunch and told them stories, ghost stories, no less. Yeah. Um, That sounds amazing. I, uh, I decided that a natural next step for me was to record a CD. Yeah. And that was an interesting process because it's like, what, what do I tell and what goes on the CD? Yeah. And so the preparation that I did when I finally selected the stories that were going to be on there and, and the rehearsal, I actually volunteered, I, I sent out a note to everybody in my daughter's schools and, and said, please let me come tell this story a lot yeah. Yeah. so I could practice and the studio time and listening to myself make mistakes on the recording and edit out That's every hard. tongue click and yeah. weird thing that Ooh, I you kinda, do. I oh. kind of like mouth sounds. I- <laughs> But it doesn't work so well on a CD. No, I know. It's very natural on a podcast, but not on a CD. Well, I I mean, and I should be clear, like, I just find them interesting. Like, Yes, um, but I did entirely too many of them and I had to edit them all out. I'm just obsessed with like, I'm obsessed with vocalizing. So So the the creative process of putting out a CD was big. Yeah. and again, finding out where storytelling can take me. I ended up auditioning and becoming a tour guide for the Salt Lake City Ghost Tour for a few years. Cool. That led to me doing uh, a city's cemetery tours for a couple of years. Wow. Um, just taking the opportunities open. Yeah. And, and seeing where it leads. It's led to some surprising places that I never thought. I mean, if you'd said when I was 36 and said, I'm going to do this, that that was what I would end up doing, yeah. I wouldn't have imagined it. Yeah. That's the best though, it's, right? It's so yeah. exciting. That's why you do it. And um, I did decide that I wanted to try to write. Yeah, That was that was also terrifying because yeah. somewhere along the way of you know college and getting graded for everything that I did, I convinced myself that I wasn't any good at it. Mm. So to write something and get a short story published, that's a very small thing. But for me, it it's meant yeah. that I was reconnecting to that part of myself and yeah. that I really did have that creative part where it wasn't just me finding a story. It was me actually creating a story. Yeah. So, so that was big. Um, I'm still not entirely comfortable with following that path, but as my husband has gotten more involved with writing, I know that it's a possibility and it's a road that I might be able to go down someday. Yeah. That's very exciting. Like, I mean, I, I know like if I'm, if I'm not on the edge of my creative comfort zone, I don't get that 
like sparkly feeling um, like I want to, but it means like kind of always being like a little bit terrified. A little bit. Yes. And I don't feel like I have to push myself. I am so happy to be able to tell even the stories that I've told a hundred times before to a new audience that hasn't heard them. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to do that. That will always give me joy. I will never get bored by that. Yeah. But also I'm prepared to be surprised. Yeah. That's nice. That's, I, I I feel the same way about my career. Um, let's get into this identity stuff. Okay. So I, I never know how to pose these questions because they're so individual that sometimes even in the asking of the question, I, I'm, I'm directing in a way that I don't want to be, but I'm interested in like the relationship between yourself and your art. So, you know, is it seamless? Do you feel like the art is you and you're the art? Do you feel like? Pretty much, pretty much because good storytelling is a good conversation. And so if I'm going to connect to people, I'm using my art all the time. It doesn't ever stop. How does it feel to you? Like, I mean, let me think if I want to like, you know, say something more specific. Do you feel like the Julie who's performing, is there, is there anything different about the Julie who's performing and the Julie who's not performing? When I'm on, I sparkle a little bit more because yeah. <laughs> I do get tired. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, um, not that much. No, I, I think with storytelling, there is a level of honesty that you have to have with your mm-hmm. audience. And so when you open yourself up that way, I'm not hiding anything. Yeah. Um, I, you know, there are, I, I don't have dark secrets that I'm holding back myself because yeah. I put it all out there. So yeah. what you see is kind of what you get most of the time. Do you feel like that honesty? I mean, sometimes I think, you know, when, when people are talking about like, putting themselves into their art like the assumption is that we're talking about whether you're putting all of yourself into the art I kind of don't think that uh I wonder sometimes more more often if like the art allows you to be more yourself than like yourself can be maybe Maybe. so I'd love to hear your thoughts about like what that kind of like really honest honesty feels like how you do it why you like it what it means. Um, there is a poem by Neil Gaiman called Boys and Girls Together. And it talks about how all girls secretly see themselves as princesses that might be hidden for a time, but eventually they will re- reveal themselves in all their sparkly glory. And that boys, they never want to be the prince. They're fine with a princess. That's great. But they really want the adventure. And they, if, if, that allows them to go on the adventure, then, okay, I guess they're a prince, but they really don't want to be the prince. Mm. But the end of the poem is the one that's the most telling because what they don't, what boys and girls don't realize that in time they will all be the prince, the princess, the king, the queen, the mm. villain, the witch, mm. the fool, mm-hmm. the, all the parts, yeah, all the parts right, are you. Yeah. And we all play them. Yes. Okay. This is perfect. Um, it, if if i if identity is at all fixed which like i tend to think it's not because i agree with that yeah uh 
I, I'm so fascinated by the way that, I mean, the way that as my identity shifts and I'm moving from role to role uh, in a totally organic human way, how that interacts with the art that I'm doing. Is, is it always kind of in tandem? Uh, does the art maybe sometimes um, come a little before, you know, like is, is the art like, so, I mean, I just like to ask about it. There's, there's no answer. I turned 50 last year, so I'm 51 Congratulations. now. <laughs> and, and that's come with an interesting identity as I realize, you know, when I was an, you know, dreaming of being a famous actress, I would play the young ingenue, the love interest, the pretty girl who got the guy in the end. And it was a brutal realization that in the acting world, I would not get those parts anymore. I don't, I'm not that role. I'm definitely in the Lachesis mode of the three fates. The one who, who is in the middle years, who spins, you know, measures the thread. Yeah. Um, which is an uncomfortable position for me because mm -hmm. in my head, I'm still dreaming yeah. of the princess. When I'm a storyteller, I can still be the princess. I see. Yeah. And I don't have to let it go. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I also have to accept that I I'm also approaching, yeah. hopefully in many yeah. years to come, yeah. but that the crown is there, that yes. the mother yeah. is there, the wise woman, the grandmother, yeah. all of those things um, I have to see myself as, which I know, I don't think I ever did when I was young. Yeah. It's like, okay, the old woman, yeah, she's an old woman, whatever. But to think of myself as becoming that, yeah. that's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> this is such a gorgeous answer. I, I love this answer so much. Um, and I think it's, it's exactly evidence of like, you know, I, like I said before, I never know what it is because it's so personal, but like, you know, even just that ability to let the storytelling allow you to reconnect with a, with a you that isn't really anymore in the same way she used to be. And also to kind of prep for a future you, you yes. know, to kind of step into that and try it on so that when you move into it, it's not totally foreign. You know, I mean, hopefully I can welcome it. I feel like that about my writing. You know, I think I, I do a similar thing uh, in my, my songs that I'm writing. Uh, with When I'm performing other people's songs, I certainly try to take them on and, you know, tell tell my own version of that story. But when I'm writing my own things, I definitely sometimes write in the past, sometimes I write in the present, and sometimes I really try to write in the future. And I don't know. I mean... I don't know what it is that I'm doing. I don't know if what I'm doing will change. Um, but yeah, I do sometimes feel like I I write in the in the character of the person that I'm gonna be soon. You know? Yes. Yes. Um, like it. It's almost like I get to test it out a little. Um, I'm figuring it out before I can like step into it. You know, when I was young and creating stories, I never would have thought to create the story from the point of view of the grandmother. But now I'm thinking, wow, someday I'm going to be the grandmother. Yeah. And what story does she tell? Yeah. 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 It's very creative. It's perspective building. Um, I think I just last, I just, I want to talk a little bit more about honesty. Uh, you know, I, I, um, I think I'd maybe just like your perspective on like what honesty 
is, should be, how honest uh, would you like for people to be generally? Like, do you have thoughts as a person who steps into like fully honest honesty? I, when I'm telling stories, I'm imagining myself as my best self. I don't tell the ugly parts or the messy parts or all of those mm. things unless I'm really getting raw. Yeah. But there's not necessarily an audience for that because um, very rarely do people want to indulge in your pain. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But um, I think when I look at people, I'm also looking for their best self. As a teacher, I'm looking for your best self. Yeah. So I think when you're being honest, it's to be able to say, I'm not always my best self, but I'm going to do my best to put it out there so that that's what people see. Yeah. 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 I like it. Uh, anything else you want to say about it? Oh gosh. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, cause uh, I think there are like different uh, levels of honesty. There's like, and, and some of it is so cultural and generational maybe even. Um, but I think there's, there's a, there's a, a type of honesty. I think the thing that I wonder is whether one is more honest than another, really. Yes. But I think there's a type of honesty that's pretty like, um, like it, I don't think it needs to be self-indulgent, but that's pretty like uh, present, you know? Yes. Um, very like, I'm dealing with this right now. It doesn't have to yes. be permanent. It's not me. It's just like, this is, and, and I don't mean like dealing with this thing. I mean, like I have to pee, you know, yes. like just this kind of like, yes, this kind of like, here's what's going on with me right now. And I'm saying it to you so that you can best understand what, uh, what state I'm in, what sort of energy I'm like, you know, and I think some of that is like a, a, a mental exercise in your own mind you know, kind of getting in, in a practice of kind of thinking like what, what's going on with me right now? What do I think is going on with this person? Like, what is the room I'm in? Um, and maybe there's another kind of thing that's a more like, um, I don't know, like a quantized honesty. Like okay. it's like, yes. it's a kind yes. of, you know, like your best self. Right. <laughs> this is, yeah. Or, or it's like a periodic honesty. Yes, I think, you know, I'll tell stories and I'll tell stories where I mentioned that I have to pee. Um, yeah. Those things happen. Um, but again, I, I let me think here how to say it right. There's a saying that people will ask me, you know, are the stories you tell true? Because mm. sometimes I tell the story where I am the main character. Yeah. And my, the answer is, and it's not just my answer, it's, you know, my friend Rachel's and other storytellers give similar answers. All stories are true. They just vary in how true yeah. they are because there's the, the whole mythological truth, the, you know, the roles that we play, the parts we play, the stories that we tell, they kind of start to, you know, become a fairy tale. They yeah. become a myth. Yeah. And the stereotypes, the archetypes, they're all there. Um, we just have our versions of them. Yeah. And so we become a little bit elevated yeah. as yeah. we tell that story more and yeah. more. It right. becomes folktale. Right. Yeah. Or like, is your paradigm true? You know, like, I mean, I, I feel 
perplexed by these ideas a lot because I am kind of always like, I'm so ready for that shift. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, I'm shifting my paradigm like multiple times a day. Oh, sure. I mean, that's just how my brain works. Uh, and and I I think I'm obsessed a little bit with not missing tr- truths. Not that I'm trying to find like the one because I don't really believe in a one because each of our own perspectives are both true and totally false and our memories are weird, but they're also what we have. Um, and I think like, sometimes I wonder if my like obsessive kind of what other truths are out here, what other possible like, you know, framings are there. Um, if that becomes its own kind of like thing, I don't know. It's just, it's just something that I, it's just something I think about and like to talk about with, uh, with people who I think think about like what is true. I believe in a divine truth, but I, also know that there are many uh, stories to tell and ways to find that truth. Yeah. And so when we're talking real truth out there, um, I do, I believe in one particular truth, but we're all living different lives and we're all following our own paths. And to say this is the only path is to limit things a little bit. Yeah. And we, you know, when we talked earlier about boxes, yeah. there's so many boxes. Totally. And it would be nice if we could break free of those boxes yeah. and walk the path the way we need to. Yeah. I think that's what I mean. Yes. Like, like I'm trying to figure out what box I'm in and what box other people are seeing me in. And, you know, ha- you know, just so I can, I can try to think like what's really there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just something that I I think if anyone's obsessing about it like I am, it might be a storyteller. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and to give another example of the honesty thing that I was talking about, one of the things with teaching is that you're supposed to build background because your students come not knowing and not having the background stories. Mm. So one of the ways that I build background in my lessons is I will tell a story about when I was a child or when I experienced this and um, so they're hearing my story. They probably know more about me as a person by the end of the year than any teacher student relationship should, because they've heard yeah. the stories about when I got in trouble and the stories yeah. about when I had this amazing experience or this yeah. story about when I really made a mistake or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that most teachers do that. Yeah. I do. I do it. Um, and I like it and I want to be around people who do. I mean, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm into it and I support it. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell a story? I would love to tell okay, a please, story. Please I'm going to tell you a ghost story. I hope you can handle it. <laughs> okay. It's very All bright right. and shiny. Here we I'm, go. I'm ready. You know, people have recurring dreams and I have one. And this is, this is true. I have a recurring dream where I house hunt. In my dream, okay, I wander through a house, and the only thing that changes in my dream is the type of house. Sometimes I wander through a house, and it's ugly. It's got wood paneling and pea green carpet, and I'll round the corner, and suddenly this ugly 
wood paneled house has marble columns and indoor swimming pools mm. in the same house. And the houses are sometimes impossible and strange with secret passages and endless twists, or it's industrial and glass. Once I actually had the dream where the master bedroom was the kitchen. So you could lay in bed and cook on the old fashioned pioneer wood stove that was right there. Um, sometimes I wander through the house looking for the bathroom and wondering why on earth nobody thought to build one. And of course, when I wake up from that dream, I realize why I was looking for the bathroom <laughs> and because I have to use it. Um, it was many years ago that my dream changed. It became more frequent because I might have this dream a few times a month, uh, still do all the time, but a few times a month. But I started having the dream every single night and it wasn't uh, an impossible house. It was the same house that I was dreaming about night after night. And I could picture it so clearly. It was on a cul-de-sac and there was um, a steps, cement steps going up with a white iron railing to a blue door. Inside there was copper colored carpeting. Uh, there was an upstairs, the, the bedrooms and the bathrooms and uh, the huge kitchen dining room open concept in the back with a, a short flight down to a family room and then another flight of stairs down to a second family room in the basement. I dreamt about the same house and I wandered through that house in my dreams every single night where I found all the bathrooms, I found all of the secret closets and all of the hidden spaces and I got to know the house so very well. It so happened that we had decided to move. We'd put the house up for sale and when we finally had it sold and was under contract, I met with a realtor and it was time to find where we were going to live. <laughs> It was the second house. No. We turned onto a cul-de-sac and I felt that shiver, that deja vu as we turned into a house that had the cement steps with the white iron railing and a blue door. The realtor knocked on the door and a man answered the door and he looked at me with some surprise and uh, he said, wow, I, you know, you're coming to see the house. I just barely relisted it. So um, I'm surprised you're here, but go ahead and come on in. And I walked into what was quite literally the house of my dreams because there it was, the copper colored carpeting, the bedrooms upstairs, the secret closets that I had found, they were all there. And how to describe, you know, it wasn't just deja vu. It was deja vu times 11 as I was seeing all of the things that were so familiar to me. I finally had to get brave to ask. I asked him, I said, why are you selling this house? And he said, well, I wasn't going to. I intended for this to be a rental place, but I can't keep renters in here because they say that the house is haunted. There is a woman who wanders through this house night after night. It's you. And I wouldn't have believed it myself if I hadn't seen her as I was fixing the place up to get it ready to put on the market again. But I saw her and I said, because I've talked about this, I said, oh, yeah, all right. I don't know if I really believed in ghosts. And he looked right at me and he said, lady, you need to start believing in ghosts because the woman who haunts this house is you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so needless to say, we bought the house yeah. and we've been very happy there. And I have had no signs that it is haunted at all. You live in it now. So I do. <laughs> that's awesome. Ooh. Well, I like that idea that ghosts are other people dreaming. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be maybe better than them being disembodied 
lonely wandering souls who are dead. That yeah, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like the idea that there's some place to go to after and yeah. but then the question is, well, then what about the angry ones or the nasty ones? Right. Because I'd want the things that come after to not be dark and nasty. And yeah. I don't know. Ooh. I don't think about it too hard. I think about it too hard, <laughs> which is why I don't like ghost stories. Um, but this is one is nice because you're not a ghost. You're Julie and you're I here. I am. Yeah. I am. And of course, the question is, is it true? Well, all stories are true. Some are more true than others. <laughs> I love it. Okay, ask everybody at the very end, on this day, what is your dream project or your dream collaboration? Right now? Oh, so my husband is coming out with a series of books um, that are based on Appalachian folklore. Cool. And one of the things that we talked about early, 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 early was, wouldn't it be cool if we could work in all aspects of that Appalachian folklore. Like what if I like told Appalachian stories and we, I could do a show where I was telling the Appalachian stories and then you had the book and then we could work in Appalachian songs and yeah, we could work you need in someone like playing the spoon, you know, you my people do that. My, yes. Yeah. My image is that someday, you know, he, the books get good and big enough that, you know, we're invited to conventions like, in other places besides, you know, here in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we could have a booth where, you know, we could sell jam from Blood Creek oh, and we could I sell, you know, just have, idea. you know, the, the poems and songs yeah. and stories yeah. and all of the things to go with it. So it's all related. I love that mixed media common theme is my favorite. Wouldn't that be fun? It would be that fun. That sounds amazing. Collaborative thing. But yeah. right now his path is the writing part and my path is the teaching yeah. part. And we haven't figured out how to intersect oh, I, those parts. I'm gonna, so someday. I'm going to need for that to happen. Someday. Yeah. I, I also, one of the things that I'm doing is I am working on Victorian stories cool. because they've entered the public domain. Ooh. So um, uh, Victorian ghost stories I'm working up. Ooh. Um, no, they're beautiful. <laughs> they're beautiful. Well, take a look at, at Char uh, Christmas Carol. It is a ghost story. And yeah. the ghost stories in Victorian England were told at Christmas because yeah, they didn't have Halloween. Of, so, <laughs> you know, when are you going to do it? When it's darkest and everybody's yeah. gathered around the when fire. the trees are dead and it is creepy. Exactly. So, and kind of beautiful and enchanting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I get it. I Well, and I don't want them to be forgotten. There's so yeah. many that have been published and so many that people don't know. Yeah. So I've been working on those. And this well, one maybe. is the hardest, is H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft, I would love to be able to figure out how to tell some of the H.P. Lovecraft stories in a way that people can actually understand and connect with it. I cannot wait for that. I'm so excited. Please make sure I know when you're doing those things. <laughs> it's it, that, those, those are hard. Those are very hard stories and finding an audience will be the hardest part. Nobody actually wants to hire me to do, you know, Christmas tales of terror. Mm, I do. Hasn't, okay. Well, there you yeah. go. Let's have I'm, a party. I'm event planning already. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we can do that. I'm sure we can find a way to do that. Um, where can people find your things on the internet? I, my website is www.talesbyjulie.com. And I have a CD, The Light Princess and Other Tales. It's available 
on Amazon on CD Baby is where I cool. got the hard copies. My of distribution my CDs. is from CD Baby too. Oh, CD Baby, yeah. <laughs> thank you, CD Baby. Thank you, CD Baby. <laughs> um, yeah, those are. I'm. I there is a storytelling guild website, and I am listed under the Olympus chapter, and I'm. It specifically says that I tell ghost stories. Not the only type of story I tell. I tell all the stories. But those are my favorite. Julie, it was such a joy to meet you. Thank you so much Thank for coming. Thank you for having me. It's just what an adventure. A delight. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.